This week in the Dan Cave, the Seahawks rebound with a win just as impressive as the loss in Arizona was disappointing, defying my pessimism. I'll tell you why the victory over the 49ers just might be the most important win of the year and could signal something special on the horizon. The offseason in Major League Baseball is officially underway. Will the Mariners be big players in free agency? Likely not, but I'll give you one big name pitcher that would make sense for them to pursue. And will we finally get Pac-12 football this weekend? The Huskies opener versus Cal is in jeopardy, but history will be made in Corvallis when the Cougs kick it off. Details in a quick and dirty edition of the Dan Cave Podcast is up next. Welcome to the Dan Cave. Here's your host, Dan Vies. All right, I thought we'd start you off with a little uh, new Alter Bridge today. Brand new song called Last Rites that uh, was just released this week in advance of a EP that they're putting out. Just a little tune that they threw together during the pandemic when they didn't have anything else to do. Um, also, uh, amid rumors, uh, well, not really rumors, but based on some comments from recent band members lately that, uh, that we might be looking at a Creed reunion sometime in the next year or so, that would be, that's something I've been calling about, uh, calling them out about for, um, a couple of years, uh, especially since, uh, Eric and I went and saw Scott Stapp on a solo show, oh, just over a year ago. I think it was the last live show that we saw um, before everything went to hell in a handbasket. And he is just so healthy now and so uh, looks great, sounds great. Um, uh, it just makes a lot of sense for them to to do a reunion. Anyway, let's get to the task at hand. Short episode today, uh, just kind of trying to squeeze this in between some other real life responsibilities. But Wanted to touch on what we saw from the Seahawks last week for sure. Because if you listen to the show last week, you know I didn't feel good about the game against San Francisco going into the weekend. In fact, I said it felt like a loss. And that I thought the real season, for a number of reasons, would start this week. And one of those reasons was that there were just too many guys hurt. Too many key guys no Jamal Adams still. No Shaquille Griffin. Um, no Benson Mayoa. The Carlos Dunlap trade had been completed, but he wasn't eligible to play yet. And then coming off the Arizona game, where they did so many things wrong in scheme and execution on defense, just wasn't real confident. Meanwhile, you had the 49ers coming in off probably their best performance of the year. So I thought it added up to... Gosh, I'm not sure if we can if we can pull off a win this week. I am so thankful to be wrong. I usually am the optimistic one. And so that's rare for me when I actually, essentially I predicted a loss. I was happy to be wrong and I was happy for the reasons that I was wrong. And so I want to go through some Sunday standouts. Uh, from an ind- individual player standpoint, uh, just took some notes on guys that stood out to me and helped to kind of bridge that gap and make up some of the difference to get the Seahawks in into position to to really kind of hammer out their their first easy win of the year. And it certainly, let's not forget, it didn't look that way early on. It looked like I was right on the money, didn't it? 
the first half of that first quarter, the offense just looked like they they didn't show up. And they were lifeless, and, and the play calling was unimaginative, and uh, it, it just kind of looked like they had lost their mojo. But, but things really did start to turn around, and then they put their foot on the pedal. And that's one thing I appreciate about the 2020 edition of the Seattle Seahawks is this new, um, this new philosophy and this new aggressive attitude on offense carries over not just to how they're starting games, but to how they're finishing them. You know, I talked again last week about how careful Carroll is, sometimes too careful, and we've seen him expand on his aggressive side this year and and start to look more like the guy that we saw at USC, to be honest. But it carries over in into later in games too, because one of the real frustrating things about being a Seahawk fan the last couple of years, it's it obviously goes hand in hand with the defense not being able to hold leads. But that's coupled with the fact that when they would get a substantial lead, let's say a two-score lead, they would just they would turn conservative. They would put their foot on the brake. They would start running the football and allow the other team opportunities to come back in it. And and now it's like We've seen multiple examples now of when they have a lead late in the game, Russ Russ is going to keep throwing it, and he's going to keep looking for shots down the field. But some individual stand-ups really like what I saw out of DJ Reed. I mean, what a coup that was. And again, this was a fifth-round draft pick, I think, of the, of the 49ers last year. Defensive back, real versatile, can play free safety, also the slot, and he can play outside. He doesn't fit the Seahawks' traditional uh, parameters of, um, you know, what they look for. And he's not as long as they like in an outside corner, but he can play it. And Carroll has has gone out of his way to mention that. And so this could be a guy that that might be in the mix in the next couple of years when they have decisions to make on Quentin Dunbar and Shaquille Griffin. Um. But he played in the slot on Sunday, and he was fantastic. Had an interception, and on an instinctive play, not a tip ball, not an easy, not low-hanging fruit, not easy pickings, but like read a play, undercut it, really instinctive. Back to my point real quick about how this could have been a coup. is, is So he tore a pectoral muscle in training camp or sometime during the offseason, and the 49ers really wanted to protect him on injured reserve because they like this kid, but he had to get through waivers first. And they thought he would because teams were being conservative about claiming other players during um, during kind of all the pandemic-affected offseason and training camp. And the Seahawks uh, claimed him. It really liked what they saw. And uh, and he was all over the field. And he just – he. He looks great. Looked great in coverage. Love what I saw. Uh, Alton Robinson, again, I talked about how I'd hoped to see him on the field more. Clearly, that was part of the game plan um, the week before with Shaquem Griffin using him as a spy on Kyler Murray, and that cut into most specifically Alton Robinson's snaps. Um, but he played pretty much the entire game on Sunday, and and he, he didn't look like a fifth-round draft pick. I'll tell you what, he looked like a worthy NFL starter who's tough against the run, uh, can can beat the edge, uh, multifaceted, strong, quick, really impressive player. He looked like the guy that we saw his junior year at Syracuse 
when he had double-digit sacks and tackles for loss and was, is, was nearly unblockable. And then he just didn't repeat those numbers as a senior, no doubt in part, to teams focusing on him. But he looked like a legitimate player. And, and a guy that could really be a foundational edge piece on that defense um, for years to come. Uh, speaking of 2020 draft picks, Jordan Brooks, the first-round pick, again, for the second time in a row. Second game in a row since he's gotten healthy again after tweaking that knee. He looks like a first-round pick. And uh, he's physical. He hits hard. He can pursue. He looks like he's in the right place at the right time. Um I, I think by the end of this season, the early returns sure are that we're we're not going to be talking anymore about, you know, why'd they take this guy in the first round again? And it, it just bolsters an already great linebacking core. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Bobby Wagner coming off this Arizona game because against, or, or the San Francisco game, come in the Arizona game, it it just didn't seem like he had an impact. But he played his best game of the year against San Francisco. And some of that was due to Carolyn Norton giving him that opportunity. I feel like it's been a missed opportunity over the last few years of not using him enough as a blitzer. He's so good at it. He's so explosive. And he's so instinctive in trying to get through the line. Um, I absolutely love it. Sorry, Something is going on in my studio where I'm getting this electromagnetic feedback every once in a while, um, and I haven't been able to identify it. Um, so I apologize for that in advance uh, when it happens kind of randomly every once in a while. But great game from Bobby Wagner. I hope, let's hope that what we saw on Sunday, because it was really the opposite of what I complained about in Arizona, which was lack of creativity, too conservative on defense. Arizona knew what was what was being done, and so they adjusted to it offensively. You really saw that in the second half, and the Seahawks had no counterpunch. We didn't see that on Sunday. They played some zone, then they switched to man. They blitzed from all angles, and then they'd, they'd play like some prevent late, but then they'd get aggressive again. Feels like they trusted their players more. Really like what I saw from that defense. And then on offense, I wanted to point out David Moore, and I meant to check, see what his numbers were. I feel like he only had four or five catches, but he just seems to be developing into a guy. We had hopes two years ago when he had that that three or four-game stretch where he had five touchdowns. We thought he was going to turn into a real difference maker and, and a big play receiver. And then we didn't see that last year, and I even failed to put him on my 53-man projection before the opener this year because I just thought he was just a just a guy. He has really become a dependable receiver. And it was funny, there was a moment Sunday where he caught a pass. And what I mean by dependable is Russ really trusts him in tight coverage, in tough situations um, to make the tough catch, and he's coming through. And, and there was one in particular on Sunday where I thought, gosh, he kind of reminds me of Bobby Ingram. You know, they're sort of built about the same. Uh, he's got good quickness, but he doesn't have great breakaway speed. Um, he's he's not a frail, thin receiver. He's put together well. And not 30 seconds later, but Eric Briggs, our friend of the show here, texted me uh, the same thing. I think he's our new Ingram. <laughs> I just thought that was a funny moment. But he's just become a very dependable 
consistent, productive receiver that Russ can trust. And that's all he needs to be. Because we have Tyler Lockett and we have DK Metcalf. And obviously the highlight of that game on Sunday was DK. He and Tyler kind of alternating now, having prolific games. What a duo they've become, but but also just talking about DK for a second. One of my favorite things in sports is watching a young player blossom. The thing that gets us so excited, that gets me so excited about the draft every year, and not just in football, but is, is you look for potential and, and upside and ceiling. And we fall in love with what a player can become because we see it in small doses. More often than not, that player doesn't become what we think he can or hope he can. When DK Metcalf was drafted, it was all about promise. We knew the reason he fell in the draft to the end of the second round, that he was even available to the Seahawks in the first place. The questions about his lateral movement, lateral quickness, that he was just a big, strong Greek god who could run fast in a straight line but wouldn't be able to run an NFL route tree and develop in the nuanced areas that it takes to be a great receiver in the NFL. We saw signs last year that that was inaccurate and that he did have an opportunity to make the most of his his athletic gifts. And then the leap he took from last year to this year is just, it's so much fun to watch. It reminds me of watching Russell develop where it kind of happens in three phases. The first one was, this guy's legit. He really is an NFL starting quarterback and a pretty good one. But in that first phase, you may not even think that he has a chance to become elite. I don't think any of us, even Russell's rookie year, ever thought, this can be a top five quarterback. But we were happy to know that we had a starting quarterback that was a legitimate starting quarterback in the league that you could win with. The second phase was, wow, this guy is even better than I thought and has a chance to be one of the best in the league. And that was fun to watch. We saw it happen before our own eyes. And then the third phase is, I think Russell Wilson's a Hall of Famer. Not only is he, we don't have that discussion anymore about, is he an elite quarterback? But I think he's a Hall of Famer. So we're seeing that now. We're seeing, we're still in phase one with DK, but I'm already starting to think about phase two, which is, gosh, I think a year from now, two years from now, no doubt, we're going to be talking about this guy as one of the top three, four, five receivers in all of football with a chance if he stays healthy keeps working hard, keeps his nose clean, keeps doing the things he's doing, all indications are he will continue to do those things, that we could be talking about a guy who goes on a 10, 12-year Julio Jones-type run as an elite receiver. It's a lot of fun to watch. Really, really 
enjoy watching it before our very eyes. Um, but, you know, if we're talking about standouts from Sunday, too, I just want to give credit again to Carol and Ken Norton, because as hard as we were on them after the results in Arizona, you have to then give them credit for what we saw Sunday. They recognized it. They adjusted. They put a good plan together. And they really beat down a 49ers team that came into that game feeling pretty good about themselves. And now we look ahead to this week. And that defense, as well as it played with understudies on the field, now it starts to get healthy. We're going to see Jamal Adams this week again. We're going to see Carlos Dunlap for the first time in a Seahawks uniform. And if he's anything close to what the 2019 Carlos Dunlap was, uh, we're really in for a treat. And he's an impact. He's a difference maker on defense. We may see Snacks Harrison for the first time. Although Brian Monet and Puna Ford are playing so well at nose tackle that uh, I don't know where those snaps are going to come from for Snacks, uh, for Damon Harrison. But we may see him for the first time on Sunday against a Buffalo team that likes to try and be physical up front and run the football. And Shaquille Griffin should, I haven't checked the practice report from today, I don't think it's out yet, but he should be out of concussion protocol and ready to go, which just now adds to that depth. He moved Quentin Dunbar back, and shout out to Quentin Dunbar too for moving over to the left side in place of Griffin and playing extremely well. Um, But it takes Trey Flowers off the field, you get Dunbar and Griffin on the field at the same time now with DJ Reed in the slot. That's, That's a fun group back there now with Jamal Adams. Back at strong safety. And then you look at the Bills. And and the reason I think this is such a big game, some of you might think, eh, it's an AFC game. You know, if they drop it, it's not a big deal. It's on the East Coast. Some of you still think that that's an issue. It's not for the Seahawks if you look at the last four or five years of their record playing at 10 o'clock. But the Bills got a lot of buzz early on. Started out 4-0. They're 6-2 now leading the NFC East. A lot of buzz when they were 4-0 and a lot of talk about Josh Allen being an MVP candidate, right? Let's pump the brakes on that. Those first four games as they were on their way to 4-0, Jets, Dolphins, Rams, who we're seeing now, not very good. And Raiders, who have been really Jekyll and Hyde up and down. Those four teams have combined 13-7 as we sit here today. Then they were blown out by Tennessee, lost to Kansas City. Had to come back to beat the Jets. I think they were down 10 nothing, And barely squeaked by New England last week, uh, which we know now is just a bad football team. So the Bills are reeling. And Josh Allen, while he's thrown for almost 2,200 yards, I think he leads the league in yards, uh, with 16 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Sounds great. He had all that MVP buzz early on, but, and it's a big but. I'm not saying his butt is big. I don't know. It kind of is. He's 6'5", 240, right? Uh, last two games, uh, zero touchdown passes, and he's thrown a pick. And in the last four games, if you want to go back to a bigger sample size, four touchdowns, four interceptions. So he got off to a hot start against the Jets, Dolphins, Rams, has really cooled off since then. So uh, the other reason it's a big game is because of what, lies on the heels of it. They travel to LA next week to play a Rams team that, again, I don't think is very good. And then a four-day turnaround for a Thursday night football game against Arizona. 
rematch against the team that just gave you so much trouble a week and a half ago, four-day turnout turnaround for that, um, chance to really make their mark in the NFC West if they can get those two games. So, big one this week. Uh, get to wake up early and watch football on Sunday. I love that. Um, really like the 10 a.m. games. I, they don't upset me like they do some people because you get to, uh, you don't have to wait as long for kickoff, and then you get more of the day to do stuff. You can be a little more productive. Those 1 o'clock games really cut into things. Um, let's talk about baseball. The Major League Baseball offseason officially underway. You can sign free agents right now if you want to. Um, it's not going to happen. Baseball's offseason is always slower to develop than others. You don't get that mad rush right at the bell when free agency starts. Um, but this year more than ever, because I think with a with a abbreviated season and the pandemic effects and all of that, teams may be more hesitant, reduced revenue, more hesitant to hand out big contracts. And so players may choose to wait. It'll be interesting, really interesting to see if we see some of the bigger name free agents sign shorter term deals. Try to bank on um, getting things back to normal and then reestablishing their true value after a year or two. We know the Mariners aren't going to be that active at the top end of free agency. Um, Baseball trade rumors came out with their top 50 list of free agents this week and where they thought they would end up. And, you know, they didn't mention the Mariners until you got down to the very bottom of that list. Um, They had the Mariners signing Jay Happ um, and uh, Greg Holland. Both, I I think both make sense. Jay Happ, a guy later in his career, not what he used to be, but a dependable kind of innings eater sort of guy who would be a good influence on the young pitchers, wouldn't cost much. I think they had him at one year, six million, which sounds about right. And then uh, Greg Holland also makes sense as a guy who kind of reestablished his value last year, going back to KC, even though he's in his mid-30s now, um, could really be a guy that could pitch at the back end of that bullpen for a Seattle Mariners team that um, that Jerry DePoto has flat out said, we are going to look for uh, bullpen guys this offseason because that we, we think that's the missing piece and that could make us a playoff competitive ball club. So uh, I thought those both had some credence to them. I thought they were they – were, um, I, it wouldn't shock me at all to see the Mariners sign one or both of those players. But another one stood out to me as well. I didn't realize he was a free agent this offseason. But when I saw this guy, I thought, okay, it makes sense. Because the Mariners aren't – first of all, they're not going to sign anyone at the top end of the free agency list. Um, they're not going to sign Tanaka, right? Um but they just want someone to slot in with the young guys, maybe in a six-man rotation again, so they don't have to worry about the load on Logan Gilbert's arm when he ultimately gets added to the rotation. But they're not looking for a guy to be a three, four, five-year mainstay either. And you're also looking to fit it into your payroll structure at a certain level. Um, how about a guy who's a former Cy Young winner, former World Series winner, a dynamic personality, born and raised in the Seattle area, Tacoma, who's coming off a, a couple of down years, 13 and 10 in 2019 with a 4.46 ERA, three and three this, this last, uh, partial season with a 5.16 ERA, 
doesn't miss as many bats, uh, strikes out six per nine now compared to his career average of between eight and nine, and he's on the verge of turning 37 years old. I'm talking about John Lester, longtime uh, Cub after being developed by the Red Sox. Um, I don't know that this is a terrible move. Bring him home. You know, it might be something he wants to do, come home, finish his career here. If he even plays at all, he can help mentor the young guys, throw some innings for him. Six-man rotation could help keep some life in his arm. Uh, if the Mariners think that he has anything left at all, this might be one um, that makes sense. Just thought I would throw that out there. I think it'd be kind of cool to see John Lester finish his career in a Mariners uniform. And it might kind of get Blake Snell thinking about how good it would be to come home. Just a thought. Uh, finally, today, um, I just want to mention some college football. We get to watch Pac-12 football this week, although the Huskies opener at Cal may be in jeopardy. Cal has had a couple of COVID-19 positive tests, and they have shut things down for the moment. Um, it remains to be seen. Their head coach has said, hey, if we have the bodies to play, we'll play. So uh, hopefully it will happen and everything will go off smoothly and safely. Um, but there don't seem to be any concerns right now about the Cougs opening things up at Corvallis against uh, an Oregon State team that some people think seem to think is going to be interesting and competitive this year. Um, the Cougs will find out. Obviously, the Nick Rolovich era begins on Saturday. The former Hawaii coach taking over from Mike Leach, who went to Mississippi State uh, or Ole Miss, um, is no Mississippi State. It, they're doing something that that we don't think they've ever done before. There are no records that show that they have, and that is start a true freshman quarterback in the opener. Jaden Delora. Um, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago because that, that I saw the writing on the wall that, it, that it might be a possibility and I didn't like it. I wanted to preserve this kid's red shirt. I don't think that's a thing this year though. I think there is an option. Um, I apologize. I meant to research this before I hit record and I did not. Um, I think he would still preserve, well, he would still preserve a red shirt for sure. Um, but regardless, I thought, you know, why use the shortened season uh, to throw this kid to the wolves, see what you got in, in Cruz and Cooper and the other the other couple of guys, and then uh, save this kid for a full season next year when you're when you're fully integrated with the new system and the new staff and everything else, and let's be off and running. I have come to correct myself uh, on that line of thinking. Um, I think it's a perfect opportunity to throw a kid out there in a situation where there's no pressure. There's no expectations of this Coug team this year winning seven of their eight games or six of their seven games. There just isn't, you know? I mean, they could go 0-7 and it won't be an indictment on the new coaching staff at all. I'm, I'm excited about this transition, but I'm excited about this kid too. He's a quarterback like we haven't seen at Wazoo in a very long time because Mike Leach was very uh, – he liked the drop back kids. He liked the 6'3 to 6'5, big, tall kids that usually weren't very athletic and he didn't like them to run anyway. Minshew ran around a little bit, but even he wasn't, you know, you wouldn't really refer to him as a running quarterback. 
Jaden Delora is, but he's not just that either. He is a true dual threat quarterback. 6'1", 190 at a St. Louis high school in Honolulu. Same alma mater as Jason Gesser. That worked out pretty well for the Cougs, right? Um, he was named second team all Hawaii last year after throwing for over um, 2,300 yards and 19 touchdowns. Um, his high school team averaged 46 points a game. They went 12-0 and his senior year and um, won their fourth straight division title. He was named high school All-American by Max, Prept, uh, Max, Pre- Max Preps, and he was named the Gatorade Hawaii Player of the Year for his career 72, almost 72% completion percentage with uh, 3,500 yards passing, 29 touchdowns, also rushed for 345 yards and eight touchdowns. This kid can run. He can really move around. But he can sling it too. I wouldn't say he has a cannon of an arm, but he's very, very accurate. And I am really excited to watch Jaden Delora play uh, on Saturday night or Sunday morning because I'll be working Saturday. I'll have to record it and watch it um, later. Although I may be able to sneak a peek at uh, at the game during the during the game. I got to figure out what that damn electrical issue is in the background. That is really weird. If there are any engineers out there that could tell me why uh, every five to eight minutes that sound that you heard just pops up out of nowhere. It's nothing in my house that's turning on. There's nothing. I don't have any crossed wires in my studio here. It's a very bizarre sound that doesn't seem to have anything to do with um, with any loose connections or anything of that matter. So um, anyone who has any ideas... <laughs> Get a hold of me. That's going to do it for today. Uh, as I should, said, short and sweet um, today for episode 103. But next week, certainly we'll look back on the game between the Seahawks and the Bills and uh, dissect it, break it down in more detail, and look ahead to that two-game stretch where they play the Rams and the Cardinals in five games and could really cement their standing in the NFC West. And then on the back of that, four extremely winnable games all in a row. It's amazing how fast this season is going by. Also, if there's any big Mariner news, any signings or trades, we will report on that as well. And uh, I'll give you my take on that. And we'll look at the the debut of Jaden Delora for the Cougs and see how the Cougs and Huskies both looked with new head coaches, new quarterbacks, and, uh, and some new schemes going on there as well in what should be a very bizarre and interesting Pac-12 season. I will just say this. We still don't know as I sit here right now at 115 on the 5th of November. We don't know who our president is, but be kind to everybody, no matter how this thing turns out. Okay. Let's just focus on the positive. Try and make the most of it moving forward. Let's not be combative. Let's try not to be judgmental. Let's just let the democratic process work itself out and let's get back to being a country that, that, that likes each other and and thinks positive, okay? That's my way of thinking. So maybe I can spread a little bit of that to you through the microphone today. Follow me on Twitter if you don't already at Seahawks Forever. Uh, you can email the show at thedancaveshow at gmail.com. Follow 365sportscast.com. Uh, check out the website. All of, also follow them on Twitter. Get ready for that. That national uh, Internet Radio Network launches in January. I'll be hosting the Emerald City Sportscast on Wednesdays at 11 o'clock Pacific time on that network. So start following them now. And uh, and if you uh, haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Just hit subscribe in whatever platform you're using 
Um, it, it may differ from platform to platform. It may be a favorite or a follow or a subscribe. But then as soon as I post episodes, because sometimes they're on Wednesday, sometimes they're on Thursday. And if something big happens, I'd be on a Monday. There might be a crazy Seahawk game where I just come in here, close the door, turn things on, and do a podcast on a Sunday just to give you immediate reaction. But you'll know if you subscribe and you'll get those notifications. And if you like what you're hearing, you know what? I would love to get a rating and review from you on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you listen on. My name is Dan Viennes. This is the Dan K Podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, go Seahawks, go Mariners, and go Kooks.